Very good morning to you all. It's great to be back together again. People have asked me, how am I going? Because the Crows have lost two weeks in a row. And um, no, I'm going fine. I am a realist. I expect us to finish bottom this year. I want to say to you, welcome to church. It is great to stand up the front and see so many people sitting before me. I mentioned last week that I was starting sermon series looking at the topic of church. Last week, I looked at the topic of what is church? I said there's a lot of confusion around this question. The church conjures up all types of different thoughts and feelings for people, some very positive, but sadly, some very negative. People also go to churches for many different reasons. That's why it's so hard to set up or start a church or to really be an active church because most people want you, some people want you to focus on teaching, some people want to, you to focus on fellowship, other people want you to focus on music because that's, many people come for different reasons. But with all, even with all this confusion, even with all these different thoughts and feelings that people have, I still think the church should hold a very special place in the life of a Christian. When it is functioning properly, the church of Jesus Christ, I believe, is the hope of the world. It is the only organisation that has ever existed that is capable of healing broken lives, pointing people to God, and fulfilling the deepest longings of our souls. You know, I used to say quite a lot to our church in Queensland. I truly believe that whenever someone walks into our church, regardless of what situation they're coming from, regardless of what circumstances they're facing, they should feel and receive something walking into our church that they don't feel and receive anywhere else. You can go to Centrelink and get help. You can walk into some agencies and find the help you need. But I said when people walk into church, they should feel and live with something that they can't get anywhere else, regardless of their situation or circumstances. It is in the church that the rejected find acceptance. The sinners receive forgiveness. The lonely experience love. The lost, those without a relationship with Jesus, hear the gospel preached to them and they receive the opportunity to accept Jesus as their saviour. It is in the church that we discover and live out our true purposes of serving God and serving each other. We receive teaching, training for how we can be the people that God has called us to be. No wonder I say when it's functioning properly, the church of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. So for the next few weeks, we're going to spend some time looking at what does a positive functioning church look like? Or more importantly, I want to bring it home. What kind of church do you think God wants us to be? As you come to church, what do you bring? What kind of church does God want us to be? I mean, it's not enough that we come to this building on Sunday mornings if we fail to be the church that God wants us to be. It's not enough that we sing songs, take communion, give our offerings, sit through a sermon, and it's not enough even the fact that we come to church every week if we fail to be the church that God wants us to be. So for the next several weeks, we're going to talk about the type of church, I believe, God wants us to be. But how can we know that? What's our starting point? Well, I mentioned last week the church is made up of people who've been called and separated from the world. 
people who've committed their life to God and made Christ their ruler. In their devotion to God as a church, they have a living, loving union with him and with one another. And this is all done to reflect the glory of God. So to help us discover what church, kind of church God wants us to be, I'm going to look at the first group of people of Jesus who did exactly that. There are about 3,000 people that, we, that Wes just read about in Acts chapter 2. People who committed their lives to God. They made Jesus Christ their ruler of their life after listening to the words of Peter that Wes just read out. We're told they, they heard the gospel message from Peter. They were cut to the heart and said to the Peter and the other apostles, what shall we do? We've heard this, now what shall we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. They accepted the message and asked, what should I do? And they were baptised. This morning we're going to begin this series with a sermon I'm calling The Characteristics of a Genuine Church. And I'm going to be looking at this New Testament church. What are the characteristics of these 3,000 people who heard the message and said, what should I do? Now, I want to say straight away, I know Pentecost isn't the birthday of the church. That traces back to Abraham. But these verses that Wes read out and that we're going to be looking at show us the account of the age of the very first spirit-filled church. Acts 2 tells us how the Holy Spirit came upon Peter and the other apostles. They preached the word in Jerusalem with great success. Many were converted to faith and a church was born and a church was started. These new believers had begun the church. They were called to be separated from the world. They committed their lives to God. They made Jesus Christ their ruler. And the account of this church, first church demonstrates for us characteristics needed to be a genuine church. And for me, the first characteristic is this. A genuine church is devoted. If Wes kept reading on, you will notice in chapter 2, verse 42, Luke says, these new people were devoted. In the verses, he even reveals what they are devoted to. He says they're devoted to teaching, fellowship, communion, and prayer. In the Greek word, this word devoted means to hold fast to something. It means to continue in something, or it means to persevere in something. In other words, they persevered in all these activities. They persevered in teaching, fellowship, communion, and prayer. They didn't just persevere in one of them. They persevered in all of them. The context indicate that these activities were not just some religious ceremony. They, they were practices adopted so wisely, not only by individuals, but these devotions characterised the whole 3,000. These four activities taken together form the foundation of personal and corporate life in that early church. The believers devoted themselves to spiritual instruction and transformative practices. And today I'm going to look at the first one, where Luke tells us, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So my first point and my only point today is this. A genuine church is teachable. 
I find it interesting that Luke opening statement, there are a lot of things that Luke could have said about this group. Nevertheless, the first thing Luke states about this group is about their teaching. In other words, this was a learning, studying church. This was a group of people who were learning and studying together. Why do I find this interesting? Well, Luke stresses that in these early days, in spite of these believers having seen and experienced the great spiritual happenings of Pentecost, these disciples devoted themselves first and foremost to study and teaching. It could have been a temptation for these early believers to look back on Pentecost and focus on that experience. They might have remembered the way the Holy Spirit came. They could recall how he used them to speak to those people in Jerusalem with amazement and how each of them heard his or her own language. It would have been so easy for these Christian followers to have longed to experience that kind of thing again. They could have quite easily been devoted into hoping the Lord would come and do another miraculous sign like that. But that's not what we find. Luke's opening statement about this church reveals to us they are not rejoicing in their past experiences. We, instead, we find them rejoicing in the word of God. While it's true, wonders and signs accompanied the apostles' ministry, the church did not devote themselves to these. Even though these new converts witnessed many miracles, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And I want to say to you, for very good reason. Remember, these new converts were people who were sincere in what they believed. They were just like ordinary people of the day. Many of them had been religious people who'd come to Jerusalem on a pilgrimage. Others were local people who had let out rooms and they had bed and breakfast establishments to cater for all the pilgrims that were coming over to the Mediterranean Basin. These 3,000 converts made up a cross-section of people from the Middle East, but predominantly, most of them would have been Jewish Old Testament believers. None of the 3,000 that Luke is talking about here were originally Christians or had been Christians before that very day. Breakfast time, they were unbelievers. By supper time, they were repented and were baptised and were devout believers. They would have had all kinds of questions. Just go back and think of when you first become a Christian. You probably had the same questions. They would have heard the questions about who was Jesus of Nazareth. What did he say? What did he mean when he spoke of destroying the temple and rebuilding it in three days? What did he do? Did he really cleanse lepers? Did he actually raise the dead? Why did he die? Did he really raise people from the dead? Where is he now? And so on. While it's true, the apostles had no particular credentials in teaching terms and being recognised by the religious authorities of the day, none of the apostles had any formal religious training. They had been fishermen, tax collectors and ordinary people. However, the apostles did have one qualification, though, that was clear to these new believers. They had the experience of being with Jesus and being taught by him directly. So it was the apostles' teaching that came with the power and the authority of Jesus. That's why they longed for it. That's why they sat under it. That's why they chased it. As I said, these new converts would have had heaps of questions about Jesus. 
and the apostles had the authority and the commissioning from the Lord Jesus himself to answer those questions. That was the calling of the apostles. They could never convert anyone by themselves, but they could, by the enabling of the Holy Spirit, recount the life and teachings of the one they've just been with for three years. They could explain the greatest three-year period in the history of our world, like no one else could. They could talk firsthand about the remarkable life and public ministry of the Son of God. Why? Because they walked with him in it. For this reason, the new converts were careful to listen and put into practice the teachings that they heard. The apostles' teaching referred to what the apostles preached and taught orally about Jesus, his words, his deeds, and especially his atoning death and resurrection. They were the focal points of their teaching. They drew parts on the Old Testament, the only Bible they had in its time, to explain Jesus' identity, life, and ministry. You heard how Peter did it in his sermon when Rez read it out. These gatherings weren't just holy huddles of people coming together to have informal discussions. Instruction was an important component of their growth. Both doctrine and application were critical to these early believers. They needed to hear and know not only what Christ had done for them, they needed to hear and know what Jesus Christ demanded of them now that they are his followers. The new believers needed instructions. They needed teachers committed to equipping them for the work of their ministry. Although they were no longer blind to the truth of Jesus Christ, they needed teaching to grow. They needed teachers who had been appointed to the office of apostleship to go and do that. The first apostles enjoyed a unique place among these early believers. Being the ones chosen by God, trained by Jesus and given the orphan responsibility of laying down the foundation of which the church would be built. That's what they had. The early believers not only recognised that authority, they devoted themselves to not only hearing the teaching, they devoted themselves, held fast and continued and persevered in their teaching. That's what they did. Now you may say, yeah, that's all well and good for them, but how is it possible for us today to focus on the apostles' teaching? I mean, we live in a very different age. We live thousands of years after this teaching. We have no one alive today who holds the same status. Peter is not with us, James is martyred, John has died, and so have all the others. Even Paul has been long gone. So if this is our starting point, how do we do it? Well, we do have the Bible. We do have the word of God, which includes the teaching of the apostles. These men gave us the New Testament. They didn't know it at the time. But that's what they gave us. This is the deposit of their teaching. When it came to collect the books that we now call the New Testament, the criteria by which was known as the New Testament canon was formed, did, one of the questions was, did it come from the apostles or does it bore their witness? That was one of the first questions in forming the New Testament canon. In today's language, to be devoted to the apostles' teaching would be to be devoted to the word of God. The Bible and its message it contains about Jesus. I don't know if you know him, but John Stott is a great theologian. To quote him, he says, If we devote ourselves to the apostle teachings today, we should focus first on Jesus as he's presented in the Gospels and further explained in the Epistles and the Old Testament. We have the Word of God. 
That is our apostles' teaching. If we want to devote ourselves to the apostles' teachings today, what are some practical ways to do this? How can we be devoted to these teachings? Well, let me give you a couple. Here's how you can be devoted. Firstly, regularly attend a church where the Bible is on it as God's word written and faithfully preached. Now, I know I'm preaching to the converted here. I know many of you attend this church because you place a high authority of scripture. Many of you also have an appreciation of the particular kind of teaching that has taken place here over the years. Even at the pastoral search committee and in my getting the job here, preaching was something that they talked about in depth. But you know what? I also know some people would argue the Christian church emphasises is too heavy on teaching. They would argue that knowledge puffs up, so we should focus less on teaching and more on loving others. And while I see some fairness to this, I don't believe we need less teaching. Our teaching doesn't need to be weakened. Our teaching needs to be strengthened. We shouldn't soften our stance for truth. The more you get to know me, the more you'll find I hate politically correctness and I'm a man who says what I believe. We should make it more solid every time we meet our stance for truth. As culture diminishes the value of God's word, we should cherish it even more. We should be devoted for it even more. There is no such thing as having too much truth. Unfortunately, some churches and members of churches are turning away from being devoted to God's word. As a result, they needlessly miss out on great blessing God wants to give them. But even greater is they run the risk of not fulfilling God's purpose for their life and the life of their church. We need to be devoted to the word of God. When a church has devotions to the word of God or the apostles' teaching, it won't have a devotion to a particular experience. It's not going to be an experience-based church. It won't have a devotion to dramatic results. It's not going to be looking for a church to be two people one day and then 3,000 the next day. On the other hand, when a church has a devotion to the apostles' teaching, it means we will not be devoted to the teaching of others, especially those who want to twist and manipulate the truth. It will be productive, protective of the apostles' teaching. When a church is devoted to the apostles' teaching, there is purity and truth that they stand against and protect. When opposing views are presented, churches devoted to the word of God won't say, well, each to their own. You know, we live in a different age now. All truth is relative, you know. I go to God this way, you go that way. That's okay. No, we will be devoted to God's word, not on the word of culture. I truly believe that doctrine, philosophy and morality must all be governed by the word of God. It must. It's our starting point. The truth that the apostles taught is worth defending. You cannot have too much truth. The truth that the apostles taught is still the greatest truth for today. A genuine church is always going to be a Bible-studying church. These two things go together. So the first way to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, is regularly attend a church where the Bible is honoured and God's written word is faithfully preached and taught. Another way you can be devoted to the apostles' teaching is know this. What is true for the church is also true for you as an individual as well. 
So in addition to a regularly attending a church where the Bible is honoured as God's word, we should regularly read the Bible and honour it as God's word, preferably daily. Christians are people of the book. Have you heard that saying? Why? Because in its message is life, health and happiness. It is through the scriptures we learn about God's character. It is through the scriptures that we learn about his great deeds, his love for us, his will for us, his ways, his promises, and the list can go on. The Holy Spirit uses the truth of the apostles' teaching we find in scripture as a major part of the process of our transformation. God is in the process or business of transformation. What transformation? Of us becoming conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That's his goal for us. That's why, as Christians, we are always encouraged, before we open the Bible, to pray. We ask the Holy Spirit to open our minds and our hearts to understand the meaning of his word and how we can apply it again. As the psalmist in Psalm 119 18 says, open my eyes that I may see the wonderful things in your law. You can try and read it on your own. It won't mean much. But ask the Holy Spirit to teach you and see what happens. The final way we can be devoted to the apostles' teaching is understand this. In addition to regular and honour to asking the Spirit to help us, we must bring something to the table. Whenever you open up the word of God, you must bring something to the table, an essential attitude of the heart. What's that? Regularly come with an attitude to transform yourself. This doesn't mean that for our own efforts we are the source of our transformation, but it does mean that we have an important part to play in the process. Ultimately, as I said, God is the source of our transformation. He is the one that wants to turn us more and more like his son but he does it through a process that requires us to play a vital and an essential role in it. You're in a relationship with God. It's a team effort. That's why we should always remember, whenever we open up the word of God, the goal of devoting ourselves to its teaching is not simply to gain information. As critical as important that may be, our goal should always be to know God more. Our goal is to be teachable. Our goal is to learn new things. Our goal is to become more Christ-like. This is the essence of why we devote ourselves to the scriptures. We come with a deliberate, decided intention to obey whatever God shows us to be his will. As we earnestly seek God in this manner, he will communicate with us in very personal ways. The spirit of God leads the people of God to submit to the word of God. That's what he does. To quote John Stott again, a spirit-filled church is a New Testament church in the sense that it studies and submits to the New Testament instructions. In other words, God uses means, means of his words and his grace to bring about growth and obedience. Now you may say, yeah, we know all that. Who cares? So what? Well, if I take you back to the start, I said a genuine church is teachable, must be teachable. What comes to mind when you hear that word teachable? Well, for me, it's all about letting God change us. You know, I have changed my mind on some theological points over the years. Why? Other people have taught and brought out things that I hadn't seen before. You know... 
I have some Christian friends who don't have teachable spirits. They believe what they believe and they're unmovable. This is the way it is and no one's going to change me. They are so dogmatic they don't change in anything. Then they go even further and reject people who have a difference of understanding. Now please note that what I'm about to say isn't, I'm only giving an example, I'm not trying to rattle cages or upset anyone. But I had a friend, um, he, he sadly passed away now, and uh, he did his PhD on the theology of divorce and remarriage. And um, I got asked to come and speak a couple of years ago and, um, on this topic. And so I, I rang my friend Andy and I said, oh, Andy, I've been asked. And I said, can you send me some of your stuff again? Because I had some of his stuff, but I, I lost some of it and everything like that. And he said, oh, Garth, he says, I'm no longer the expert in the field. And I said, oh, yeah, what do you mean? And he said, oh, there's, um, there's a guy called Dr. Instone Brewer. He's the head researcher at Tyndale House. And he said he's just completed his PhD on the theology of divorce and remarriage according to Jewish literature. And so I went and bought some of his books and Andy sent me some of his stuff, you know, and, um, and it really helped. So I rang Andy back and I thanked him. I said, oh, Andy, thanks. It was extremely helpful. And I said, and he said, yeah, but Garth, he says, the funny thing is, he said, I've actually chatted with David. And he said, David's a bit like me. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, oh, he's been invited to speak in churches like I was on the topic. But afterwards, he's been told, you will never be welcome back. I've been in churches with Andy where he spoke on that topic of his PhD in divorce and remarriage. And he's been told, you will never be invited back. I have another book on my bookshelf, and it's called Praying Like Jesus, the Lord's Prayer in a Culture of Prosperity. The book is written by a guy named James Mahullen. I don't know him. But he was asked to write this book into, in response to a book that was flying off our shelves in Christian bookshares, bookstores. I don't know if you've ever heard of this book, but the book is called The Prayer of Jabrez, Breaking Through to a Blessed Life. I don't know if you've ever read it or heard of it. It's a, it's a different book. Well... James got asked, could he write a book in response to this? And he did. And after writing that book, like Andy and David, he was invited to come and speak in some churches. Sadly, also like Andy and David, he was asked, he would never be asked to come back again. And he just went and spoke on the Lord's Prayer because that's what his whole book is about. I've heard the same testimony from a friend of mine, Andy Kohler, Andy Kohler used to be our state rep for Baptist World Aid in Queensland. He would be invited to speak on certain World Aid topics and then told he won't be invited back again. Let me ask you, does that sound like churches with a teachable spirit? Does that sound like a church who's open to new understandings? Or does that sound like a church who come with a deliberate, decided intention to obey whatever God shows them to be his will? Now, I'm fully aware, as I said, we need to be protective of false prophets. I've already stated any doctrine, philosophy or morality must be governed by God's word. And this is the church's job. But remember, these friends of mine weren't heretics. They were not someone who had a flash in the pan moment and came up with a new way to think. They were people who were extremely educated. They were people who loved the Bible and held to its teachers dearly. 
but because of their many years, the study of God's word revealed to them new, greater, different truths, whatever you want to call it. And it was that, for that very reason that these educated people were invited to come and speak in churches. Then told, we don't like what you have to say, so you are not going to be invited back. Now, I know I'm only sharing you the negative side, but let me also tell you, thankfully, God has used those three men as mighty tools to help preach the word to churches with a teachable spirit. Churches who they went to and said, this is new, this is different, let's go away and study this for ourselves. Let's go and test it out in accordance with the Bible for ourselves. I started today by asking what kind of church does God want us, Packenham Baptist Church, to be? I suggest that it is a, it is a teachable attitude that we always must have as a first genuine mark. I don't want anyone to be so dogmatic that they're not willing to change. I drove Jonathan home the other night from Bible study. He leads a men's Bible study here on Thursday night. And I said, what I love about our men's Bible study is we have guys with so many different opinions of scripture and different things, and we learn from each other. Imagine if I walked into that Bible study and I said, no, you're wrong in this, and this is the truth. No, you're wrong in this, and this is the truth. No, you're wrong in this, and this is the truth. We can't be like that. A genuine church always studies the apostolic teaching. A genuine church has a great God-given experience. A genuine church tests those experiences against the word of God. A genuine church is a studying, learning, and more importantly, teachable church. I don't care if you're five or 105. God still wants to change you. God still wants to teach you. God still wants to conform you to the likeness of his son. The reading of, the study of, the preaching of the Bible and its message is the bedrock of our Christian belief and it should be the bedrock of any church. It is embedded in the DNA of the faith of the church. To depart from this would be a disaster. The teaching of the apostles were very important to the early church. Even though it would have been new to them, even though it would have been different from what they'd been taught before, they could have quite have easily said, these guys are just heretics of the Jesus movement. They've only been around for three years. What do they know? Seriously. But thankfully, they didn't do that. They devoted themselves to them. They valued them. And because they valued them, they built their lives around the spiritual disciplines of studying them. Do we do that as a church? Do you do that as an individual? What place does reading scripture hold in your life? Is it a priority? What place does God's word have in the decisions you make every day? I agree with Wes. What you do every day is for Jesus. How do you work that out? Always remember, to live by the teachings of the Bible is to live free from guilt and heartache. And can I finish by taking this one step further? If I was to ask you, what would be this? What would be the apostles' message? Well, for me, the message of the apostles can be summed up in four becauses. Because of sin in our lives, people are lost and separated from God. Because of what Jesus has done, people can now be forgiven. 
Because of this forgiveness from Jesus Christ, people can be changed and now have a loving relationship with him. Because of this new loving, living relationship with God, we get to be with him now and forever in eternity. This, for me, is the apostles' teaching. It is the truth of the gospel. It is the truth that anyone who believes in Jesus can be set free. It is the truth that there is no sin too bad that Jesus won't forgive it. It is the truth that there is no problem too complex that Jesus cannot solve it. Maybe today you are in the same spot as those 3,000 people were on the day of Pentecost. Whether you're in this building or listening online, perhaps today you've heard the message about Jesus that was crucified for the forgiveness of sins and you are asking like those 3,000, what shall we do? Can I encourage you? Don't leave still asking that question. If you're online, don't just switch off without ringing someone about that question. Accept Jesus today. Don't leave without taking that step. Don't leave without talking to someone about the difference that Jesus can make in your life. So many people here today and so many people watching online have been in the exact same position that you are in now. They've heard the apostles teaching the good news of Christ and have been challenged to take the next step and accept him. And we've all been confronted with that and all asked, what should we do? If you are in that boat, if you don't know Jesus as the saviour of your sin, if you don't know how Jesus can put you in a living, loving relationship with God, take the step. Invite Jesus to become part of your life. Then see how much of a difference this Jesus of the Bible can have in your life. Then see why these early Christians devoted themselves to that message. I pray that God will strengthen us and add blessings to our hearts by his word and nothing more. Amen.